I truly, truly believe that a quality education is one in which particularly teenagers get to explore uh, a wide variety of interests and get exposure to different environments, different peer groups, and different adults. Um, and particularly true for lower income teens who don't necessarily have uh, access to uh, robust enrichment programs or networks. And those are often the things that define a young person's success. And I don't accept that they don't get access to that because there are the resources out there. It's just really hard to get to them. Hello and welcome back to I Want a Job, the podcast. It's the beginning of the year and there's so much work to do, so we're so excited for all the inspiring stories we have planned from ladies who are making it happen. Hopefully you'll find some stories that inspire you or give you a new perspective. So for our first show of 2017, we're featuring a lady who doesn't accept things the way they are. Cecilia Foxworthy is the founder of Taurus Teens, a platform for connecting teens with after-school programs. Cecilia saw a need, she saw the opportunity, and she dived in to make it happen. We adore Cecilia's mission to help teens find enrichment programs and activities, to learn and explore, to test ideas and interests beyond their books or phones. And if you think about it, what Cecilia is creating is amazing. The right after-school program can be life-changing for a teenager. So here's the story of how Cecilia founded Taurus Teens. I've actually been in the kind of social impact space for the last decade, uh, working in economic development and education. Uh, domestically and abroad. And about two years ago, I decided to focus on domestic issues of education in my own hometown, or not hometown, but the city in which I live, which is New York City. Um, and I chose to focus in uh, Harlem and the Bronx. And, and what I did was created a nonprofit organization, which at the time was called Small Fry, that was a workforce development program. And it, we trained and employed lower-income youth to do online marketing for local small businesses. Um, and so we did that for about two years. It was going well, uh, but I realized at some point that you know we weren't going to have the wide impact that I kind of personally wanted to create. Um, and through those you know two years, we got to know lots of different folks in the education space and a lot in the out-of-school education space. And started to realize that there was this real kind of hole in the marketplace, if you will, um, in that there were all of these amazing after-school summer weekend programs out there that were catering to the interests of teenagers, but it was super, super hard to find them. Um, you know, often we'd be talking to teenagers that they were bored and they were interested in, you know, for example, uh, dance or theater, and they wanted to try to uh, learn a little bit more about the about those topics, but they didn't have the they didn't have the means to do so financially, um, and often there would literally be programs that were free in dance and theater around the block from them, and they just didn't know about them. Um, and so this kept on happening. Um, and then the more, you know, we talked to hundreds of teenagers and teachers and counselors um, and just realized, you know, this is, this is an important uh, need that needs to be filled. Um, and, you know, that's on the practical side, but kind of more on the philosophical side. I truly, truly believe that a quality education is one in which particularly teenagers get to explore uh, 
a wide variety of interests and get exposure to different environments, different peer groups, and different adults. Um, and particularly true for lower income teens who don't necessarily have uh, access to uh, robust enrichment programs or networks. And those are often the things that define a young person's success. And I don't accept that they don't get access to that because there are the resources out there. It's just really hard to get to them. Um, and so we're, we're solving that um, and we're hoping and we're really working towards uh, getting teenagers and, you know, particularly lower income teens uh, access to a well-rounded uh, quality education, both in and out of school. I love that. And I can see how participation in one of those programs could be so life-changing. Um, can you tell us about some of the ones that you see are being successful and any kind of measures or metrics of success that you've gathered already? Yeah, um, there have been a lot of um, kind of third-party studies done on this landscape. The Wallace Foundation is kind of one of the leaders in, in studying outcomes and outputs of the uh, out-of-school space. But individual programs specifically that I really personally <laughs> admire um, one is Brotherhood Sister Soul in Harlem. It's the most welcoming community you could ever hope to be in. They hug you every time you walk in the door, um, which, uh, you know, it sounds a little strange, but and I'm not like a touchy-feely person at all, but I love going there to get hugged by them. Um, but, you know, so much more than that. It's, you know, they focus on um, women's issues and men's issues and race issues and just how, how to be the best person that you can be and not let kind of societal, um, I guess, societal norms, um, for lack of a better word, uh, bring you down. So how, you know, how can you use your community to rise up and give yourself the support that you need to mitigate any, any risks that are associated with, you know, your, uh, your gender or your race or your socioeconomic status, what have you. So that's one of the really great ones that I like. Um, global Kids also, um, you know, all about global citizenship. Um, and then, you know, things like scripted, which is, um, a coding program. So it just, it's just all across the board. And I'm not saying that a, every single program is going to change a kid's life. Sometimes they're not going to like that program, mm -hmm. but that's also a good thing to experience, you know, Hey, I don't like this. And guess what? I have the choice not to go now, but sure. I explored mm -hmm. it, you know? Um, and that's something that they don't necessarily get to do in school. And I, I like that they can do that outside of school. Absolutely. So let's. You're a teen in New York. How would you hear about this program? How do you get started? And yeah, yeah. So right now, the way that we're getting our platform into the hands of teens is largely via school counselors um, and social workers, mostly school counselors, um, and also principals. We have uh, partnerships with some of the school support networks, charter networks. Um, folks like Teach for America New York, uh, just anybody really that's interested in getting teenagers uh, engaged outside of the classroom because they all recognize that an engaged teenager outside of the classroom is a better student inside of the classroom as well. Um, 
and so, yeah, so the teenagers, they simply, you know, go onto our website, which is touristteens.com. Um, they input their location and their interests, and they get sometimes hundreds of programs to, to choose from. And then we have filters. Of course, that's way too many to go through. So then we have filters that uh, folks can use to narrow down by age, by timing, um, and then specific needs like LGBTQ or, you know, if... Uh, they've been involved in the criminal justice system or if they're involved in the foster care system, those kinds of um, specific needs as well. Got it. And what percentage are free? And when they do do these programs, is it type of a volunteer slash internship role that they'll have there or are they learning? What's the breakdown of the types of opportunities? Yeah, you know, it it totally depends. Um, You know, we have Right now, so we're just in New York City right now. We're a pretty early stage company. We just launched in May. Um, our plan is, of course, to be in every uh, major urban and suburban area in the next few years. But uh, right now, just New York. And we have around 700 programs live. We have another around 800 waiting wow. to get onto the platform. So it's in everything, you know, from arts to sports to technology to mentorship to internships, job readiness. It's literally everything, and I would say it's relatively equally split between all of the kind of major eight pillars of categories that we have, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I can't give you a really hard number in terms of how many are free, but I would say probably about uh, 80, 75 to 80% are free um, with the balance being low cost. Mm-hmm. If, if we do have a high cost program on the site, that means that they also offer a scholarship. So wonderful. And so as you're thinking of rolling out, how, what are the biggest operational challenges? And for people who are interested, what would be a good way for them to get involved? Sure. Um, well, the biggest thing I think, um, we really, really are working to make this a teen-led uh, platform. So we always, you know, teenagers helped us actually design the site. Uh, you know, teenagers do our social media for us. Uh, you know, I have no idea what hashtag lit means. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that makes me sound super old. I'm actually not. But, you know, I was never cool even when I was a teenager. So Now you are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but nerd is a new cool anyway. Um, but... The, the biggest thing is that we really want to make this a teen-led platform. So our challenge now is how how do we build in additional features to uh, allow that to happen? You know, is it more like, um, you know, a LinkedIn-type feature that shows you which ones of your friends have um, applied to or gone to this program so that it would more likely entice you to go or you know, um, just different marketing uh, kind of strategies like referral programs or ambassador programs. So we really want to start experimenting with um, with teenagers to see what works best for them in terms of getting each other to, uh, encouraging each other to explore their interests. So, you know, any, anybody that's really great at teenage uh, marketing and engagement, we would definitely love to talk to you. Um, you know, we're doing really well right now, but it's all through adult supporters of teens. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, dialing that back to, to their, to having them own it. Um, 
because I think that that's also a part of uh, being able to freely explore your interests is not having, um, certainly having adult supporters around you, but, um, you know, just having, having a little bit more agency over, over your life outside the classroom. Sure. Um, yeah, and doing with others too. Yeah, and so you seem to be really good at starting things. What when you have an idea, can you identify what it is about your planning and approach that gets you beyond idea to reality? Like for example, with this idea, um, what did you do? Was what was the most difficult? Um, was it the funding, the coordination? How is it that you're able to make these ideas a reality? Sure. Um, you know, my last startup was very small. Um, it was a lot harder because it was a lot more face-to-face time. This time, I had made a lot of major mistakes in the last one. So this time, I already knew <laughs> what not to do, uh, which can, made it way easier. Can you share a few of those for others interested in similar types of organizations? Sure. Um, number one, we expanded too fast. So we had three cohorts in my last organization. We had three cohort, cohorts running, two in New York, one in Boston, which meant I was going back and forth from New York to Boston, which, you know, sounds pretty obvious at this point not to do, but I was really interested in testing whether or not I could scale quickly. Uh, so that's what I was doing, and it was the wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why with Taurus, we're trying to get really solid in New York this whole year of 2016 and then think about expansion in 2017. Mm-hmm. And also our platform is specifically built now with the intention of expansion. And before, um, the business model was not built. For, my small fry previous organization business model was not actually built for expansion. Mm-hmm. So now it's baked into our entire way of thinking from the very, very beginning um, and, you know, I, I'm super lucky to have a great team with me, too. Um, my technical co-founder built a lot, almost everything. Well, the back end of what you see, she built it. Um, we're also all female-led. Um, our UX, UI consultant uh, is amazing. You know, she's been with us for the last year as well, and it, you, she does everything that you see on the site visually. Um, and then, you know, we were able to recruit um, another developer over the summer too, who has really helped us a lot. So the only male on our team. <laughs> and yeah, I was going to ask you about building the site because you said you've set it up for expansion. How did you find your technical co-founder and UX designer? Yeah, so it's actually kind of funny because I knew I wanted, this is, I consider Taurus to be a giant pivot from my last organization because the beneficiaries are still the same, um, you know, urban teenagers. It's just a very different way of, of trying to affect, you know, their future tra- tra- trajectories. Um, but it's kind of funny because I had decided that I was going to pivot. Um, and then I went to this event, um, are you familiar with Acumen? Yeah, I've heard of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So impact investing organization, mostly global, but they just launched in in the United States, um, an investment arm in the United States recently. Anyway, I was at a, uh, data for social good event at, um, Acumen, co-hosted by Acumen, the data kind here in New York. Um, honestly, I just sat down next to this girl and we started talking, Love it. Uh, you know, <laughs> we we're interested in lots of the different things. And, and by the end of that night, 
I said, you know, she, she was a Python developer. And by the end of the night, I asked her, I was like, hey, would you want to do a scrappy project just to see if it works? And so she did. She built a scrappy version of what we have now in a month. Uh, we tore that down completely, uh, almost right away. But we realized, you know, we have the same philosophy, um, and we work well together, so we're in it. And then from then on. Great story. It, it just reminds me to that why these types of networking events are so important to actually show up in person because so much of what we do is online, but you can't beat what happened to you. <laughs> at that right. Event. And I totally was not even looking for a co. I, it, you know, I just made the decision to pivot and, you know, I didn't even know what I needed at that point. Mm-hmm. I knew I needed a technical person, but I, I was only going there because I thought it sounded interesting. <laughs> yeah. And then I got a co-founder out of it. So <laughs> it, was, it was perfect. Great. And so what gets you really excited about your, what you're doing and what do you love specifically about working within teens? Because you've been doing it for a while. Uh, um, I think what gets me excited is that we have the real potential to move the needle on the achievement gap, which has been widening uh, over the last 30 years. And we have the real, real potential to close that um, by harnessing uh, programs and methods that are already in existence. We just have to do a better job of harnessing them. Um, And that gets me really excited because we don't really need more resources. We just need to use them better. Um, and I'm really into efficiency, so <laughs> that makes me very excited. Um, and obviously, uh, kind of what I said before, I just don't accept that all teenagers don't get, um, the chance to kind of, you know, make themselves who they want to be, um, and explore those interests. So I think that that's, that's really what drives me. And in terms of teenagers, um, you know, I, I think it's very well documented that um, interventions in early childhood education are um, the most kind of uh, impactful and long-lasting. Uh, but for me, the fact of the matter is the teenagers are our very next generation of adults. And if we don't do something immediately to help them achieve success in their own futures and their lives, then we're never going to roll back the clock we're never that's probably not the right way to say that but we're never going we're never going to affect the change that we really need um and i and it's just they are the future citizens immediately so i think that we need to focus on them and um we'll all be better off for it I love that. I have so much respect and admiration for what you're doing. And you have a long history of working in social impact, poverty alleviation. Um, can you tell us about how you got on this path and maybe a little about your early influences? Uh, sure. Shout out to my parents. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I was super fortunate. We traveled a lot as, as kids. Uh, my mother is from Peru, so I heard those stories a lot. Um, it's just a very, very, very different world than, you know, growing up in Northern Virginia, which is where I grew up. Um, but I think that the biggest, besides travel, um, and, you know, we would go to like Ecuador and Thailand and, and places like that. 
Um, but I think that the biggest thing besides travel is just, this is going to sound a little bit corny, but, <laughs> uh, but kind of just listening and understanding um, that different people have different experiences of the same life or, or of similar lives. Um, and I think that that definitely was my parents that exposed me to that kind of thinking and always asking why. Actually, my mom is very, very good at that. Um, just always, always ask why. Um, Can you give us an example of how you'd practice that, the why? Well, she's actually recently confronted me and said, maybe I'm asking why a little too, too much. <laughs> but um, <laughs> just, you know... For, I guess, for example, um, what we're doing right now, you know, the question for me wasn't kind of this normal question that everyone asks is, you know, how can we improve high school? But to me, that pigeonholes the answer too much. So my question is more, how can we improve learning Hmm. for, uh, you know, a particular age group of, of individuals, which happens to be 14 to 18. And to get to the answer that we got to, we did ask why at every step of the way. You know, well, um, you know, the assumption is is that kids have to have an English class, then a science class, then a math class. Okay, well, why? You know, what's the what's the real reason behind that? Or why were schools structured the way they were? And everyone talks about, you know, the Industrial Revolution, et cetera, et cetera, in education. But just really getting to... Um, why do you think that? Why do you feel that? And asking the, the, the end user in this case would be, you know, the teenager, that question as well. You know, why do you see this as, as beneficial to your life? What do you want out of it? Why are you here? Uh, why are you in, sitting in the classroom? That, those kinds of things. Um, but really kind of, I guess, just never taking the first answer as the right one. I, lo- <laughs> I, I love that. And a lot of I think a lot of young people aren't motivated unless they understand the why. Um, so I love that what you're, what you're saying. And you went back to school for an MBA and a master of science in education. Can you tell us about your educational journey and how did that type of studies influence the work you're doing today? Sure. Uh, I also have a bachelor's degree in apparel design. So, <laughs> uh, Were you going yeah, to little, be a fashion designer? A little bit of everything. Yeah. That was my first career as a matter of fact. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but it all makes sense in my own uh, plan. <laughs> it doesn't to an outside, you know, viewer. But um, so in college, yes, I did study uh, apparel design because I loved working with my hands. I wanted to make something, um, and I got into the industry. Did not like the industry because I felt like I was part of the problem. Um, and that is not to say that everybody in the fashion industry is. There are some folks doing really great stuff, but in my role, I was I was the problem. Um, or part of it, I'm sorry. Um, so I got out of that and I transitioned into the fair trade industry. So working with a nonprofit organization, the fair trade industry, and that was one of the best educations I could have gotten because I got to work with women led enterprises in 25 developing nations. Oftentimes these women were award winning humanitarians in their respective countries. Um, you know, for example, you know, Sakina Yakubi in, in um, Afghanistan, who is a, an education pioneer for girls underground schools. You know, I just got to you know, work with these amazing individuals. 
Um, and the challenges that they were facing were way more than I would ever have to face. Um, just their daily challenges were way more than I would ever have to face in my life. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, knock on wood, of course, (laughs) but, um, you know, I think that that just made me realize, you know, what can I bring to the table, uh, to help? Um, and for me, it was the business side of things. Um, you know, they were really, really good at community-based organizing, um, and programming. And I couldn't do that because I wasn't in country. So I went back to get my MBA in social entrepreneurship. Um, in the middle of that, I actually moved to Bolivia um, for a couple of years. How was that, living there for a couple of years? <laughs> I loved it. Um, again, you know, I got to work with largely, actually, women leaders. Um, so you were working while you were in Bolivia, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. For fair trade. Yeah. That was my day job. And then that's where I really delved into education as well. So I was going, um, so I put, I did one year of my MBA at Baruch College in New York City, um, and then left for Bolivia, put the MBA on hold, left for Bolivia, started working at fair trade in Bolivia. But also at the same time at night, I was um, volunteering with an adult night school and a uh, homeless youth initiative as well. Um, and also getting my master's in global education from Drexel. Do you ever relax? (laughs) Well, (laughs) it's funny because we actually initially moved to Bolivia so that it could be the year of the arts. And Mm -hmm. I brought down my saxophone and my sculpting equipment and my paints and, and all of this stuff and got there. And after two months, I was like, Hmm, I think I need to be, I, I, I need to work. Um, so, so you play got, you play the saxophone and you paint. Okay, you're a Renaissance woman. Oh, oh you used to play the saxophone. That's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> wild. Um, but no, uh, yeah. So that, at that time, then I was getting my an online uh, degree through Drexel, which was actually really great. Um, and my thesis was on Bolivian adult education, so I studied that in depth for two years. Um, and it was all about, you know, comparative global education. So I got to look at, uh, systems across the world, um, and really kind of form lots of questions in my head based on that degree. Um, and then I came back and finished my last year of my MBA. And at that, by the time I came back, they had, uh, introduced a new major, which was social entrepreneurship, which they did not have when I had left. So obviously I, I went for that um, and then fell fully into the entrepreneur world after that. Fascinating. And for women who are listening, it, I think financing you know, degrees is tough. What kind of advice and how were you able to manage working and going to school and, um, and doing it sort of kind of part-time, right? Um, do you have any advice on that? Yeah, move to Bolivia. It's really cheap. <laughs> that, is, that is a good one. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I would have never, if I was living in New York City, I would have never been able to do that. You know, like uh, we could earn enough money to live there and go to school. Um, you know, it, it, it just, for me, it, it just worked out. Also, I already speak Spanish, so that was, it was a relatively easy transition. Um, Honestly, there's so many different 
you know, schools of thought on that, you know, keep your day job and do something on the side, quit your job, do something as fast as you can. I don't think that there, I mean, everybody's, uh, circumstance is totally different, right? You know, you might have had a job beforehand that allowed you to save a lot of money. I didn't, um, you know, I, w I was making very, very little before we left for Bolivia, but I did have a partner that was able to, I mean, he's, he is a public school teacher, um, which, you know, it's still difficult to live on in New York City, but it's definitely doable. Um, so I had that luxury. Um, not everyone has mm -hmm. that. Um, you know, I have other friends that, you know, were lawyers before they quit and they had a lot of savings. And then I have other friends that have neither of those two and they did it anyway. You know, whether that was taking out a loan, I couldn't do that because my, I have, I do to have two master's degrees. My loans are pretty high at this point, <laughs> but, um, I mean, I think, I think the key is if you're unhappy in your job and you're really excited about doing something and you are able, if you have the luxury to do it, then do it. Um, otherwise, on the side, there are so many ways that you can scrappily test an idea to figure out whether or not, A, you like it, because sometimes ideas on paper or in your head just seem way more romantic than they actually are once you start doing it. Um, and you don't want to kind of put yourself in a financial situation where, you know, you don't now like the thing that you quit your job for. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think that there, I, there are just a lot of ways to do it, but I, I would say, you know, if, if you're living in New York city, you know, you're going to have to get a roommate, um, you know, or move out to one of the boroughs way out, um, go live with your parents for a little while. It doesn't really matter. Try it. And if you don't like it, you can always try to get a job again. About Are there daily practices or philosophies that you kind of live by that have, um, that have led you to make these decisions and have these successes in your career? Um, I guess, you know, going back to what I said before, it's just kind of always asking why, um, reading a lot, um, reading way, lots of different sources. And I'm not talking about reading just, you know, entrepreneurship blogs or startup blogs, but I read a lot of, um, uh, fiction and nonfiction as well. Uh, because I think that getting diverse perspectives is an extremely important thing to do. And the fact of the matter is, is you're not going to be able to have the time to go out there and talk with, you know, hundreds of thousands of people all the time. So I think uh, reading is a really, really important tool to be able to get those perspectives. Mm -hmm. um, and also reading things that you're particularly, or you're potentially uncomfortable with as well, um, just to get yourself out of that spot. Um, but I also recently, not that this is what drives me, but because I, I was kind of unhealthy in my last startup, you know, working until midnight and then I had dinner with a bottle of wine when I came home and yeah, it was just so tired all the time. Um, so now I do have a rule of three, <laughs> which I don't usually subscribe. It's not, I've never done like a, you know, I've never done one of those like bad diets or, you know, uh, 
any of those, you know, uh, top 10 practices or anything like that. But I do now have a rule of three, um, which is just an attempt to make myself healthier this second startup, um, which is I either have to do yoga, get enough sleep, or not drink wine every day. I love that. Love that so much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just one of those. (laughs) Love that. And I love how it's simple and yet it just changes the next day so much. <laughs> it does. <laughs> um, and so when you look back at yourself 10 years ago, is there any career advice you would tell yourself? Um, maybe explore even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and- I think I, I did what I needed to do to get where I am now, but you know, there's yeah. no, no hurt in exploring even more. And you, so you mentioned books. Is there any recently or ones that you love or um, that you wish would have more exposure and that more people would, you know, would look at? Oh, I think, I mean, the time that coexist between the world and me has a lot of exposure, but uh, that's definitely one that I've read recently that I really love. Um, Andrew Solomon's uh, Far From the Tree, I think, should be required reading. Mm-hmm. Um and then one of my all-time favorites, 100 Years of Solitude. Ah, love that one. All great yeah. ones. Um, any other international travel planned or you're going to be too busy um, getting tourist teens to go? And what is your plan? Every city or what is your goal? Um, our goal is every major urban city and then a large urban uh, area if possible. So it really depends on the mixture of are there enough out of school opportunities and are there enough teenagers? I love that. Um, so I so much respect for what you're doing. So excited by your mission. Anything else that you want to share with our listeners about your work? You know, if you know a teenager, have a teenager, see a teenager, please encourage them to explore. Um, whether that be through our program or our platform, if they're in New York City or by reading or, you know, just, getting out there and doing different things. That's what we, I believe we need. So please encourage them to do that.